the B-I-B-L-E Yes, that's the book for me I stand alone on the word of God The B-I-B-L-E The B-I-B-L-E Yes, that's the book for me I stand alone on the word Hey, Bob, what are you doing? Uh, nothing. Just cleaning up a little. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. If have never met you before, my name is Ronnie. I'm the lead pastor here, here at Relevant. We're launching into this new series called The Book, Good Book, and it's all about the Bible. Now, this book... This book may be the most misunderstood and controversial document in history. This book has powerfully shaped human history for the past 1,700 years. This book has caused unity and division. It's called life uh, and hate, or love and hate. It's called life and death. It's called, caused freedom and racism, uh, freedom and slavery. It's called peace, caused peace and war. It's caused equality and racism. It's caused hope and fear. This book often referred to as God's Word, has been described by many people throughout history as the good book. But not everyone would describe it by the word good. Instead, some would describe it as the confusing book, the irrelevant book, the contradicting book, the dangerous book, the intimidated book, the outdated book. And the reality is, is how you approach this book is greatly affected by your past. See, so, so, some people in this room grew up in a home or a church environment where you were taught and you were told to respect and obey what the Bible says because it's truth. It's the authoritative word of God. So from a young age, you believed if the Bible says it, that settles it. Others of, of us in this room didn't grow up in an environment or a home or a church that viewed the Bible as truth or viewed the Bible as the authoritative word of God. So you know, and, and you may know some Bible stories. You might even have a Bible collecting dust on your shelf. But for you, the Bible says it doesn't settle anything. Bottom line is more than any other factor, our past affects how we view the Bible today. Now, regardless of your past, uh, I've observed that almost everyone has some issues with the Bible. For, for some of you, your biggest issue may be you want to know more, you want to understand more, but you don't know how to. You, you, you believe it to be good, but you also believe it to be confusing and boring and overwhelming and, and intimidating. For other people, you, you used to believe that the, maybe that the Bible was true, but then you had that college professor that you know, made that compelling argument. Or you, you had a friend point out some contradictions that you didn't realize those contradictions were in there. And, and you're like, oh, how can I believe in this with all the contradictions? And, or you became more educated. And the more educated you, can, you became, you're like, man, you just started, started poking some holes. And this house of cards kind of just kind of fell down. And so based on what you now know, your issue with the Bible is it's old, it's outdated, it's irrelevant, it's contradicting. For some, your, your issue with the Bible is, is reconciling what's in the Bible 
with the world in which we live. See, some of what's in the Bible, whether you've actually read it or whether you've been told about it, it just can't align with your worldview. And maybe you used to believe what was in it, but now what's in it has caused you to walk away from God, walk away from the church, because it no longer aligns with your belief system. And then there's some who have huge issues with the Bible, not, not because of what you've necessarily read in it, but because of how others have used it to justify their political agendas, their hatred, discrimination, war. And you're like, man, if the Bible is God's word and it causes people to do those type of things, I'm not sure I want to believe in that God. Almost everyone has some issue with the Bible. And that's why this series is going to be so beneficial. That's why this series is going to be so important for you, regardless of what your issue is. See, throughout these six weeks, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be addressing some of our issues with the Bible. But you need to know what my goal of this series is not. My goal of this series is not to answer all of your questions or try to address all of your issues. And the reason that's not my goal is because it's not possible to do either one of those things. My goal in this series is that we all take one step closer to viewing the Bible uh, and engaging with it through the proper lens. That's just my goal, that we all take one step closer through viewing the Bible and engaging with it through the proper lens. Because here's the deal. God loves you. God loves you and he wants you and me to know him more. But the reality is, is some of your issues with the Bible may be preventing that from happening. Some of your issues may be preventing you from understanding fully how much God loves you and how much he really wants you to know him and experience him. And it doesn't have to be that way. See, my, my goal for you is, as we begin this series is that you start viewing the Bible and engaging with it through the proper lens by the end of the series because when that happens, I believe that you are going to be more amazed and more in awe and more astonished of the God who loves you. And I believe that when that happens, you're going, to want to, you're going to want to take next steps toward following Jesus. And following Jesus is how we're transformed into everything God created us to be. And when that happens, when we're more transformed into who God created us to be from following Jesus is when we truly discover how good this book really is. So today, to start this series, I'm just going to answer one big question today. Just going to address and answer one big question. And the question I'm going to answer is, what's the intended purpose of the Bible? Like, what's the intended purpose? I mean, do you know? I would, I would imagine if I asked 10 people to come up here and get on stage, and I asked 10 different people this question at random in this room, I imagine we get 10 different answers on what's the intended purpose of the Bible. I imagine some people would say it's a religious rule book that God gave to basically follow these rules so that we stay out of hell and go to heaven. Some people would answer that way. Other people would say it's a religious textbook that teaches everything about God, everything about the world, everything about humanity, everything about creation from, uh, you know, from a Christian perspective. Others would say it's a theological book. It's a theological book so we can understand every aspect of God. God wants us to know everything about him, and so he gave us this, this book because it's a theological book that we can understand every aspect of God. Others would say it's none of those things. It's a guidebook. It's a guidebook on how to act, how to be a good person. Still others will come here and say it's a history book. It's a, it's a history book of the history of Christianity. So what is it? See, there's so many answers to this question, what's the intended purpose of the Bible, which has caused nothing but confusion about what the Bible is and what the Bible is not. 
I believe the words that are recorded in the Bible were done so for one ultimate purpose. And until you know what that purpose is, you're going to distort the purpose. Until you know what that purpose is, you can't begin viewing and engaging the Bible through the proper lens. Until you know what that purpose is, your issues are never going to be resolved. As a matter of fact, they're just going to grow and they're going to intensify. Until you know what that purpose is, you can't and you won't ever view the Bible as truly good. So, what's the intended purpose? To help answer this question, we're going to look at a passage written by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3. The Apostle Paul actually wrote a majority of the New Testament. I'll tell you what the New Testament is in just a second. And 2 Timothy is the last written document uh, by Paul that we have, but it's actually a letter that he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, who was his protege. protege. This passage that we're going to look at in 2 Timothy is not only one of the last things that he wrote to Timothy, but it's also one of the last recorded things that he ever, that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And we're going to start off looking at just two words and how he started this sentence right away. He says, all scripture. I'm going to stop there real quick and just look at those two words before we go any further. Because before you can really answer the question of the attended purpose of the Bible, it's helpful to understand what constitutes all scripture. It's helpful to understand what constitutes what we call the Bible. And so just so we're on the same page, I am going to do right now a Bible overview. And I'm going to do it on crack. I mean, this is going to be fast. You are going to want to buckle up because I'm going to go warp speed. You're probably going to, you can try to take notes. Good luck. Uh, You may want to watch this sermon two or three different times later on uh, because this is going to go fast. So you ready? Here we go. The Bible. The Bible constitutes, what makes it the Bible is 66 total books. And of these 66 total books, there's two major sections. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. Basically, the Old Testament are books written before Jesus and the New Testament are books written after Jesus. Let's talk about the Old Testament real quick. The Old Testament is the story of God and the Hebrew people, which the Hebrew people became known as the Israelites, who later became known as the Jews, is the story of God and the Hebrew people and God's covenant with them. This is interesting. The Old Testament was always referred to, we call the Old Testament, was always referred to as the Hebrew scriptures until the fourth century. We'll talk about that later in the series. What we call the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. The Old Testament, 39 books of the the 66 are in the Old Testament, written by 28 different authors, written over a period of about 2,000 years. And you need to know, long before, long before Jesus ever walked the earth in the first century, these 39 books were considered sacred scripture by the Jewish people. Long before Jesus ever showed up. Of the 39 books, there's three different kind of books you have in the Old Testament. You have historical, poetical, and prophetical books. Uh, it, it's interesting. If you know what kind of, what kind of book you're reading, you, you know what kind of information to expect. So it's kind of important to know what kind of book you're reading. By the way, whenever you see in the Bible the, the phrase, the law and prophets, whenever you see that, the law and prophets, it's referring to the Hebrew scriptures. It's referring to all of this. Particularly when you see that phrase in the New Testament, it's referring to all 39 books. The law 
and prophets. Prophets. The first, the first 17 books of the Old Testament are historical books. And these books give the history of Israel, the story of Israel. And the first five books of this, these historical books are called the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Law. They've been called all those things. Uh, uh, th- these include the laws and commands given by God to the nation of Israel. Given by God to the Hebrew people. The middle five books of the, of the Old Testament are the poetic book. Books. The story storyline does not advance during the poetic books. Uh, the the writers dive into during these books. The writers dive into issues about pain and God and wisdom and life using poetry and songs and prayers and hymns and proverbs and allegory and metaphor and just beautiful language. But the storyline does not progress during the poetic books. And then finally, the last seventeen books of the of what we call the Old Testament are prophetic books. By the way, prophecy is basically proclaiming the word and will of God both in the present and in the future. And of the 17 prophetic books, there's two different types. There's the major prophets and the minor prophets. And the biggest difference between, the only difference between the major prophets and minor prophets is major or longer. That's it. They're not more important. That's what makes, someone came up with those are longer. Let's call them major. Boom. And ever since, major prophets. Uh, Now, how all of these bad boys fit together, you can see this, you can see this on the screen. Basically, what you're seeing here is the Old Testament is not one long, unbroken story. Meaning the story doesn't flow evenly out of, you know, and consistently out of one book and into the next. Of the 17 historical books, you can see 11 of those are primary, which means they're done in chronological order. And six of them are secondary, which means the information in those six books are are either amplified or repeated from the 11 primary historical books. You can see the poetic and the prophetic books, they're written during and they fit somewhere in between uh, uh, those, 11 primary, those 11 primary historical books. By the way, a major, major event happened in the Old Testament. It was called the exile. And it happened in 586 B.C. And that's when the Israelite people were uh, exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. Huge event in the Old Testament. The reason I tell you about that right now is because the prophetic books are divided into three big sections. You have pre-exile, which all those books were written pre-586. You have po- you know, exile. It happened, you know, all written during the 70 years that the Israelites were in, were in, in Babylon. And then you have post-exile, which happens after they return to Jerusalem. It's just kind of knowing that helps when you're reading the prophetic books. Now before I move on, here's where most of the story of the Old Testament took place. This whole area is about the size of Texas. It's present day, pretty much present day Middle East. The middle, you know, it's referred to as the Middle East, a little bit bigger than this. But, you know, in, in you know, present day, this is where right now we have Israel and Lebanon and Syria and Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia. And basically all that means is it's really hot. Like, it's a lot of sand. So, which all sounds fantastic right now living in in the middle of Nebraska. Now, before we move on to the New Testament, I just want to give you, and I'm going to put a picture up here in just just a few minutes, but I just want to, looking at this big map, I want to give you some context of where everything that happened in Jesus' life took place. Do you see where Jerusalem is? It's right between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea right there. Basically, all of Jesus' life and ministry took place in that little area between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea, a little bit north and south. Of Jerusalem. We're going to zoom in on that a little bit later, but you can see that's a very, very, very small area, which now takes us to the New Testament. 
The New Testament is the story of Jesus and his church and God's new covenant available for all people. The New Testament is a record of Jesus' birth and life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension. It's a record of the ministry of Jesus' disciples after Jesus left this earth. And it's a record of the expansion of the church, the, the, you know, the, the community, the gatherings of Christ's followers in the first century throughout the Roman Empire. The New Testament was originally written in the language of Greek. Now, here's the deal. The, dif the, the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament is this. The Old Testament was written to the Hebrew people. The New Testament was written for all people. The Old Testament is God's covenant to the Hebrew people. The New Testament is God's covenant th uh, through Jesus that's available for all people. By the way, whenever you see the word Gentiles in the Bible... And whenever you see that word, that's referring to everybody that's not a Jew. Gentiles, that's you, that's me. Everyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. So whenever you see that word in the Bible, congratulations, you are a Gentile. Now, it's interesting to know, interesting to know, testament, we have Old Testament, New Testament. Testament is the Latin word for covenant. Before the Bible was translated into English, it was first translated into Latin. And until that time, until it was translated from Latin into English, the two sections were not known as the Old Testament and New Testament. The two sections were known as the Old Covenant and New Covenant. But unfortunately, when the Bible was translated from Latin into English, the Latin phrase testament is kind of what stuck. And I just think it would have made so much more sense for most of us if we just viewed it today as the Old Covenant and New Covenant. Uh, New Testament, 27 books, written by nine different authors, spans a period of less than 100 years. Of the 27 books, there's three different kinds of books in the New Testament. You have historical books, Pauline epistles, and general epistles. And just like with the Old Testament, if you know what kind of book you're reading, you know what kind of information to expect. The first five books of the, of the New Testament are historical books. The first four of those are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And gospel, by the way, means good news. And they're the, they're the, they're the history, they're the story of the good news of Jesus. They record his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and essentially span 33 years or so. The book of Acts is the fifth historical book in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And it, 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 it's, it uh, records how the first church started in Jerusalem and expanded throughout the Roman Empire throughout the first century. That's the first five books. The other 22 books of the New Testament are called epistles. Epistles are letters written by the apostles. The apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection, and they were given authority by Jesus. The epistles are letters written by the apostles to churches and to individuals to encourage them and to instruct them. Some of these letters were preserved and essentially made it into what we now call our New Testament. Of these 22 epistles, 13 of them are Pauline epistles, meaning they were called that because they were written by the Apostle Paul. The other nine were written by other apostles, and so they were just called general epistles. Now here's how the, the, kind of the, the timeline of how all these New Testament books fit together. You can see that the, the numbers up here, those are numbers essentially starting at Jesus' birth and, there, and thereafter. The, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those cover G, Jesus' life about 33 years, and then Acts starts right after that, and the book of Acts ends in about... 60-ish A.D. or so. I told you before that the, I put up that, that map. Well, the stories of the Gospels, the first four books, 33 years, Jesus' life, they all take place 
in this very, very, very small area. The entire thing. Like it doesn't really go outside of this area at all. But in the books of Acts, which is the fifth book through Revelation, the, the end of the New Testament, the story expands throughout the Roman Empire. I mean, which is crazy when Jesus entered, you know, walked onto this earth and, you know, for the, all throughout the first, you know, 33 years and then the, you know, the gospels end, there is, Jesus launched the church, right? He, he, Peter started the church in Jerusalem and that was it. Like, that was it. But by, the, you know, by the end of the first century, this is so cool, there was a church in every single part of the Roman Empire, all throughout the Mediterranean. Like, which just means the Jesus movement was a different kind of movement that has ever been seen before in history, and it changed history. So, that was a lot of information. Let me recap the highlights real quick. The Old Testament is the story of God and the Hebrew people and God's covenant with them. 39 books. 28 different authors. The New Testament is a story of Jesus and his church and God's new covenant available for all people. 27 books, 9 different authors. And this is important to know and what we're going to be talking all about throughout this series. The Old Testament looks ahead and the New Testament looks back at one pivotal event in history. And that event is the death and resurrection of of Jesus, and that is so important to know if you're truly going to understand the purpose of the Bible. 66 books make up what we now call the Bible. However, there's one main storyline weaved all throughout it, and that main storyline is God's redemption of humanity. Uh, back in 2013, we did a series here at Relevant, a 14-week series called The Story of Redemption. And in that series, essentially, we went through the 12, there's kind of 12 main uh, eras that, you know, time eras that take place dur during, you know, the entire writing of, 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 of Scripture, you know, through these 3,000 years, essentially, uh, of the story. And went through and broke down those 12 main eras. And then at the end of it, we showed kind of a recap video uh, of those 12 areas, eras. And I just want to show that two-minute recap video to you right now because after going through all this information, hopefully this helps make sense of how the story of redemption is weaved all throughout what we call the Bible. Go ahead and take a look. Here's a quick sketch of what we've covered so far in the story of redemption. In the first era, creation, Adam is created by God, but he sends and destroys God's original plan for man. Later, during the patriarch era, Abraham is chosen by God to father a people to represent God to the world. When God's people become enslaved in Egypt during the Exodus era, God uses Moses to deliver the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt and then gives them the law or the Ten Commandments. After wandering in the desert, Joshua leads God's people in a conquest of Canaan, the Promised Land. During the Judges' era, a period of 400 rebellious years, Samson and others were chosen as judges to govern God's people. In the Kingdom era, David, the greatest king in the new monarchy, was followed by a succession of mostly unrighteous kings, and God eventually judges the nation of Israel for her sin, sending her into exile. Exiled in Babylonia, Daniel gives leadership and encourages faithfulness among the exiled Israelites for the next 70 years. Ezra leads the people back from exile to rebuild Jerusalem in the return era. This is followed by an era of silence, where the Pharisees and others entomb the Israelites in legalism for the next 400 years. At last, Jesus comes in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of a Savior 
and offers salvation and the true kingdom of God. While some accept him, most reject him, and he is crucified, buried, and resurrected. Following the ascension of Jesus, Peter is used by God to establish the church, God's next major plan for man. Finally, Paul expands the church into the Roman Empire throughout the next two decades. And that's what we've covered so far in the story of redemption. Sixty-six total books make up what we now call the Bible. One storyline weaved throughout. With that in mind, let's go back to what Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, where Paul says, all scripture. Now know this, Paul is specifically referring to the Hebrew scriptures when he wrote this, to what we now call the Old Testament. However, some of the documents written by Jesus' apostles were already, being con were already considered scripture when Paul wrote these words 30, only 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul had no idea that he was writing what would be included in what we would someday call the Bible. However, Peter, who was Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, who started the first church in Jerusalem, thought that what Paul wrote should be taken as seriously as Hebrew Scripture, as the Old Testament. See, from very early on in the first century, what Jesus' apostle wrote, what Jesus' apostles wrote that now make up what we call the New Testament, were recognized by the church with the same authority as Hebrew scriptures, as what we call the Old Testament. So for us, this statement, all scripture, uh, includes everything in what we now call the Bible. Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. The literal translation there is breathed out by God. This is interesting. The Greek word that Paul used here, that God breathed, did not exist in any other Greek text prior to this, biblical or not. Which means Paul probably coined this phrase from two different words that meant God and breathe. Paul did this to, to stress the divine origin, the divine authority of the words of Scripture. It's where we get the phrase, Word of God, to describe the Bible, or God's Word to describe the Bible. And this is important. I, it, you know, as Paul says, basically right here, the words of Scripture were inspired by God. We have to understand this. This is so key. The documents included in our Bible are not inspired because they're in the Bible. They were included in the, in, the, in the collection of documents we now call the Bible because they were believed already to be inspired by God. They were believed to be inspired. They were included in what we now call the Bible because of who wrote them, what they contain, and when they were written. So while we're accustomed to saying the Bible is inspired, it's more accurate to say the authors of Scripture were inspired by God. Well, how are they inspired by God? Well, the process of inspiration is not dealt with here, so we don't know exactly. We don't know if they heard a dream, they saw a vision, they heard an audible voice, they just knew what to write. We, we just don't know. All the writers of, of Scripture tell us is that uh, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, guided them in what they were supposed to write. Now, if you have a hard time believing this, that all Scriptures, God breathed, accepting that, I completely understand. This is a kind of a hard thing to accept and a hard thing to definitely can't grasp but a hard thing to believe I used to be there myself but you, you need to know also at relevant we believe this to be true we believe God himself revealed so much of his truth and his promises and his principles and his ways and his will to us through the writers of scripture that he inspired them to communicate the, these things we don't believe 
We don't believe God has revealed everything to us in the Bible, but we do believe that he has revealed everything necessary to achieve his intended purpose for it. Which leads us back to the question of the day. What's God's intended purpose for the Bible? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, the writers of Scripture tell us that every single person, every Jew, every Gentile, you and me, every single person is declared unrighteous before creator God, holy God, because of our violation of sin against him. And our unrighteousness separates us from holy God both in this life and in the next. Thus separating from the life that only he can give, not only in the next life, but in this one as well. And the hope and peace and joy and purpose and fulfillment that only can come from him. The writers of scripture tell us that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can now be forgiven of our sins and declared righteous before God. So essentially, what Paul is saying here is all scripture is useful and sufficient, I might add, is useful and sufficient in leading us to Jesus. All scripture is useful and sufficient in leading us to being declared righteous before God through faith in Jesus. By asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life. And you're like, where do you get that from here? Well, Paul made it crystal clear actually in the sentence right before this. In verse 15, look at, look at what he wrote. He says, you, talking to Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures. Referring to the Hebrew scriptures right here. You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, the purpose of all Scripture is to lead us to Jesus. The purpose of all Scripture is to lead us to faith in Jesus so that we're transformed into being declared righteous before God. But there's more. Paul goes, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God. Now, he's specifically talking to Timothy right here, but this can be applied to every person who's a follower of Christ. Every person who's put their faith in Jesus by asking to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the purpose of the Bible is not just... To lead us to being declared righteous before God. But also to equip us. To equip us as followers of Christ for every good work. This doesn't mean just doing religious deeds. This doesn't mean just doing good works. Essentially, in short, what we know from the rise of Scripture is this means living like Jesus, living for Jesus, by following Jesus. So you wrap this all up. Okay, Paul, what are you saying? Paul's saying all Scripture is useful and sufficient to lead us to faith in Jesus, equip us to follow Jesus so that we're transformed by Jesus into everything God created us to be. What's the purpose of the Bible? This is my favorite way to say it. The purpose of the Bible is not primarily for our, our information, but for our transformation. The purpose of the Bible is not primarily for our information, but for our transformation. Many people pick up the Bible to try to find answers to all of life's questions. You need to know, the Bible is not a book of answers for all, your, all of life's questions. I can think of plenty of questions the authors of Scripture do not address and do not answer. 
And why? Because that's not the primary purpose of the Bible. God, God didn't reveal what he thought, what he did through the writers of Scripture to answer all of our questions. God didn't reveal what he did through the writers of Scripture simply for our information. God revealed what he did through the writers of Scripture primarily for our transformation. The, the purpose of the Bible is to lead us to Jesus, equip us to follow Jesus, so that we're transformed by Jesus into everything God created us to be. To, to transform us from being, uh, from being unrighteous to being righteous. To transform us from being unholy to being holy. To transform us from being separated from God to being redeemed by God. To transform us from being enemies of God to becoming children of God. To transform us from being guilty before God to being innocent and forgiven before God. To transform us from being dead to our sins to being alive in Christ. To transform us to being slaves to sin to being free to experience God's life-giving presence. And what Paul would say is what God has revealed through the writers of Scripture is reliable in achieving that purpose. What God has revealed through the writers of Scripture is relevant in achieving that purpose. The purpose of the Bible is not primarily for our information. It's for our transformation. That's God intended his purpose of inspiring the writers of Scripture and the proper lens through which we now, what we now call the Bible. However, knowing this, knowing this doesn't mean that this is actually going to happen. Knowing this doesn't mean that this purpose is ever going to actually be achieved in your life. Because it doesn't resolve necessarily any of your issues with the Bible. So, that's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. We're, we're going to work on addressing some of our issues. I said before, I can't, I can't do all of them. And my hope is that as we do, you can just take, take at the end of the series, take one step closer to viewing the Bible and engaging with it through the proper lens. Ultimately, so that God's intended purpose for giving us the Bible occurs in your life. But to close the day, what I want to do is I just want to give you two questions. I want to give you two questions to this week. I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not saying go, go ask yourself these two questions. I'm not even challenging you to ask yourself these good questions. I'm inviting you into this, that this week to ask yourself these two questions, because I believe if you do, some things are going to change in your life over the next five weeks. And here's the first question. What is your issue with the Bible? What are your issues with the Bible? Not your mama's issues, not your college professor's issues, not who's someone who told you something that you then can think assuming or what are your issues with the Bible? Is it confusing and overwhelming? Is it that it's outdated and irrelevant? Is your issues that it doesn't align with your worldview? Your issues is hurtful because of the way it's been used. I mean, what questions do you have? What reservations do you have? What pushbacks do you have? What tensions and assumptions do you have about the Bible? And here's what I, as you ask, don't worry about what those issues are. Just be honest. You have to be honest. You have to be specific about what your issues are if your issues are ever going to be addressed. You gotta identify what your issues are. So many people talk about what their college professor's issues are. Your college professor is not you. You are you. You gotta be honest about what your issues are. 
And here's the second question. This one's, this one's tough. This one's a bigger one. Is what would prevent you from addressing those issues with an open heart and mind? What would prevent you from addressing your issues with an open heart and mind? If you're going, nothing would prevent me. Awesome. You'll love the series. If something is preventing you, you're going, I know it's preventing If something is preventing you from addressing those issues with an open heart and open mind, I invite you to do whatever it takes to say, I'm going to put those, those res- I'm going to, whatever's preventing me, I'm going to put it aside for just the next few weeks. For just the next few weeks, I'm going to open my mind and I'm going to open my heart up to a new possibility. I believe if you do, here's the deal. If you do, I, I can't promise all your issues are going to be resolved at the end of these five weeks. I, can't, I cannot make that promise. But I do believe if, if you open up your heart and mind and set aside just for a few weeks what's, what's preventing you from doing that, the next five weeks are going to be transformational for you. I believe that over the next five weeks, your trust and your confidence and your faith in God will grow. I mean, just imagine for yourself. Imagine coming to the point for yourself to say, I don't know yet that I believe every single thing that's written in it, But I believe it's so good. Imagine coming to the point in five weeks going, I don't know that I can fully grasp and fully believe everything written in it, but I believe it's reliable in my life. And I believe it's relevant in my life. That can and that will happen if you allow it to be addressed with an open heart and an open mind. Two last things real quick before, before I close out of here. First of all, to help navigate this series, I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit of feedback, uh, if I can, to see what some of your questions are. I, I don't, you know, I, I know many of them are, because uh, I've been there, and I've obviously talked to many of you, but I don't know all of them are, and uh, I can't address, I said, all the issues and answer all the questions, but I want to see, as a, the sermons go over the next few weeks, it's like, if there's things that I can just kind of tweak around the sermons and navigate toward to help address those, I want to. So every Monday, over the next few weeks, Online, on our social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, we're going to post a question on Monday. If by the end of the day on Monday, you can just, hey, answer, you know, we're going to say, what questions do you have about? And that way you can ask your questions right there. Like I said, I may not be able to answer all of them, but that will help me know how to navigate through this. By the way, I don't know how to say this properly nicely. (laughs) For all the super Christians in the room, when someone posts a question that they have for the next few weeks on those Monday things, that's not your opportunity to answer their question for them. Don't do that. Don't, no, one, no one wants to see that. If you want to answer everyone's questions, get a microphone and become a pastor and you can preach all day long. Like, that's what you can do. But don't do that to someone over the next five weeks. Like, ugh. Like, no one wants to see that. No one wants your opinion. And if you're wrong, then we got to get on there and tell you that you're wrong. Then we're going to get a fight on social media, and no one wants to see that for the next five weeks. So please, for the love of God and everything that's holy, hold off. If you cannot hold off your opinions and your answers for the next five weeks, it means you're old and you should not be on social media. It wasn't created for you. Oh, I digress. Oh, by the way, we don't want to see your political views either. But that's a whole other issue. Second thing is um, we have this short-term group at Relevant called, wait for it, the Bible. It's all about the Bible. 
You guys are so smart. It's all about the Bible. It's about know what it is and how to navigate through it. It's a fantastic short-term group uh, where I can't do question and answer up here and answer our questions, but this short-term group is going to dive deeper into what we're talking about, and you're going to be able to dialogue and ask questions about it. You can sign up for that short-term group and a few others right now online, on the app, at the Next Step area. If that interests you, do that right now. The short-term group starts uh, in a few weeks, so a great time to sign up now. And then last thing before I get you out of here, and whew, I'm tired, I've talked fast today. Uh, last thing before I, I get you out of here is, I just want you to know, like if you're in this room and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, leader of your life, jacked and pumped that you are here with us today. But I want you to know, I have a secret agenda that's not so secret. And my secret agenda that's not so secret is that every person who's ever put their faith in Jesus ultimately at some point in time ends up putting their faith in Jesus. That's my agenda for you. I want you to know that my secret agenda is not so secret. I let everybody know it all the time. And in this series, that's my agenda as well. Like I hope in this series, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus at the end of it, you go, man, I'm ready to do that. But some of you, I believe in here right now, are going, I'm ready to do that right now. We talked about this righteous before God and being sure I'm ready to do that before now. Well, you can do that right here this morning. Put your faith in Jesus. I'm going to pray in a second right where you're at, quietly where you're at. And right now, today, you can be transformed to being declared righteous before a holy God. And that is awesome. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you so much for revealing all the things that you have through what we call the Bible. Um, I pray over the next few weeks that we just are able to navigate this with an open heart and an open mind. Um, and through that, I pray you just transform us more into who you created us to be. That ultimately we fall more in love with you. Ultimately that you're more glorified. God, I pray for every person here who's never put their faith in you, Jesus. That right now where they're at, Jesus, they ask you to be their savior the forgiver of their sins. And they declare their desire and their commitment to follow your leadership. I pray that as they're doing that, that your spirit gives them an assurance and a confidence that they are now declared righteous before a holy God. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.